Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 206 of the Juicebox Podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by Dexcom, Omnipod, and Dancing for Diabetes. Please check out Dancing for Diabetes on their website and on their Instagram and Facebook pages, dancing4diabetes.com. And you can get a no-obligation, absolutely free demonstration of the Omnipod. Have it sent right to your house by going to myomnipod.com forward slash juicebox. Want to know more about the Dexcom G6 Continuous Glucose Monitor? Use the links in the show notes or go to Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. And now, on to the show. In this episode of the podcast, I'll be speaking with Scott. He's a lawyer in Canada. They call them barristers up there, just so you know. He also has type 1 diabetes, as does pretty much everyone that he's immediately related to. It's incredible. But that's not even the beginning of Scott's story. And you'll find out all the rest in just a moment. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and to always consult a physician before being bold with insulin or making any changes to your healthcare plan. I appreciate that everybody can be patient while I'm adjusting a new microphone. Scott's episode was recorded months ago with a different mic. This is my new mic. I'm still fine tuning it, but I really like it. And so you're going to hear a little difference between the bumpers, the ads, and the show for about another 10 episodes. Thank you for your patience. If you hang out to the end of the show, I'm going to read a note from a listener. I really would like you to hear it. My name is Scott. I'm 31 years old, and I'm type 1 diabetic, and I was diagnosed at 19. And I come from a family with a lot of people with type 1 diabetes. Um, my dad is a type 1 diabetic, diagnosed at 15. My brother was diagnosed at 17. After me, I'm the oldest. Um, my dad's sister was diagnosed, I think, at 20. And unfortunately, she, other than her, everyone's done really well, but she seemed to develop complications very, very fast and died at 43. Um, my grandfather had type 1 diabetes and lived to old age, died of, died of other reasons, but not from diabetes complications, and I don't think he had any that I'm aware of. Mm-hmm. I think his mother had diabetes, but I don't know if she had type 1 or type 2. I don't think it was even very clear at that time what she had. Okay. I, I don't know much about her. Um, I'm trying to think. There might even be more family members. But Wow. I'm going to get a piece of paper and do something that I never do during this podcast. I'm going to take a note. So, yeah. hold on. Scott, at 19, your brother at 17, 17. but he's younger than you. Younger Fa- than father, 15. His sister, how old? 20. 20. I think she was 20. She's passed. Grandfather? He was diagnosed, I think, at 39. 39. Type 1. Wow. Just diagnosed as type 2 at first. Okay. Again, I don't even know if they called it that back then. He might have just had the sugar. Well, well, in, right. in in Canada, the the maple syrup. But I. But yeah. Um, yeah. And and just like that, Scott. Three minutes in, it's possible we have the title to the episode, the maple syrup. It's it's not hundred percent sure because I did call one episode back a long time ago that was done with a, a Canadian maple long john, and I don't think people knew what it meant, and so it it might have sounded like. I don't know. I don't know what it sounded like, but I don't think people like the title. So maybe I can't do that. Okay. There is, wow. And there's more. You believe there to be more. You just don't know. I, I, maybe that's it. Yeah, Off and, the top of my head, that's what. Gotcha. And you're 31. Are you married or single? I have a girlfriend, but I'm not married. No. 
right? Well, she is going to want to um, get a dog or something, probably, if you guys get married. But uh, you guys have a track record that is incredibly consistent. Incredibly consistent. Interesting that no one seems to be diagnosed as a child. Right. So everyone's diagnosed as a teenager or older. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, other than my aunt, I, I don't know what her situation was. Maybe, maybe she, she struggled with control. Maybe she was just unlucky. Maybe it's a combination of the two. Maybe it was difficult to, to obtain real control in the 1970s. I don't know. But she seemed to develop everything from blindness, kidney disease. Um, and it all seemed to come up, from what I understand, it, she developed it very, very fast. But just, other than her, no one else, no one else has struggled at all, really. Gotcha. Well, I hate to. First of all, I don't want to think of your aunt as a as a statistic, but out of this many people, for just one of them to falter in either luck right. or or effort is, it's pretty impressive, actually. So everyone else has kind of has it figured out. Do you guys, do you guys manage as like a team or how? So that's well, my first question. I mean, do you guys talk about it? Now and then, I wouldn't say it's a constant topic of conversation. Um, it seemed growing up, I always saw my dad dealing with it. And of course, he was on the old regimens um, that existed prior to insulin pumps. I remember him taking a couple of shots a day, testing his blood sugar in the morning with the old machines that took 60 seconds to tell your blood. Um, or I don't remember him talking about it very much. The only thing I remember was lows. Um, low blood sugar seemed to be the thing that were most, seemed to be what was most concerning about the disease uh, when I was a kid. Uh, watching him growing up and watching him deal with it. He was scared. And I don't remember control being an issue. Um, just the, the lowest seemed to be, and especially with the, I, I'm assuming he was on regular and NPH mm-hmm. or some type of regimen similar to that. And so lows seemed to come out of nowhere. Um, they could be very dangerous, um, very serious situations. Um, and that, that's what I remember to be, to be the worst thing about seeing someone have diabetes. I don't remember any talk about control or complications, even though my aunt had them or anything else. It just seemed to be lows. Let me let me pick your brain around that for a second. So you might not have an answer, but I'm interested. Growing up, watching your father live with type one, did you think of him as a sick person? Did you think of no. him as this guy who just every once in a while gets dizzy and doesn't know what he's doing? And my mom looks scared. Or how did you, how did it strike you as a child? Um, I, I don't think I thought much about it at all. Never seemed like a sick person. He's never a person who said I can't do something because I have diabetes or I have to change my life because I have died. Like never complained about it. It wasn't talked about much. He just woke up, tested his blood sugar, took his shots when he had to. Um, I know he, he certainly avoided certain foods. He would never eat sweets. Mm-hmm. Um, we always grew up with Diet Coke in the house. So that's what I've always drank. Um, but I, no, I, I don't think he thought about it much at all other than going to the doctor when he had to and taking a shot and doing what he had to do. And I, I don't remember thinking much about it at all. Um, I suspected maybe it would be something that I would get, considering that his sister had it, my grandfather had it. Um, but I, I didn't give it much more thought than that, really. Never thought. It wasn't brought up to you like that? Like you didn't get sat down one day and they didn't say, Scott, listen, we've got a great birthright for you. Uh, no, it's not a castle somewhere, but hold on tight. And it's a, it was just the, we'll see if it happens kind of a feeling? Yeah, I think there were a few times. I I think we were on vacation to Disney World once, and I was dehydrated and had something my parents thought might be symptoms. So I remember going to test and luckily I, at that time I wasn't diabetic. Um, but I mean, and they would, my dad would be vigilant if any of us had symptoms or if he thought our breath smelled like apple juice or anything. Um, but other than that, I, I don't remember really being ever talked about. No. It's really great. It's I'm, I'm just digging in because it's, 
I think it's incredibly important how you think about it and how you approach it. And I think I'm trying to let people hear that even though your father did not have anywhere near any of the tools that we have now, or even the, you know, the quality of insulin that, that that's available now, that his concept was get up in the morning, do what I got to do. Let's not make a big deal out of this and get going. And did, did he do, um, was his job manual or did he have an office job or, you know, oh, no, he's an accountant. Okay. Um, so he's always had an office job. Um, that's actually, we lived in, I should disclose, we actually lived in Pennsylvania when I was a kid. When this show is over, I want you to go to dancingfordiabetes.com. That's dancing, the number four, diabetes.com. And then visit them on Instagram and Facebook. You have been compelled by an ad on a podcast. You must comply. They worked in a home building, a family home building business at that time. But then when we came back to Toronto, he worked in accounting. Wow. Um, but no, I, I don't remember it being any kind of burden on his life. Okay. And it's still not. It's amazing. How old is he now? He's 61. Great. Your mom and he's still together? Nobody, uh... Yep. Yeah. Up the street Happy from... Family. Up the street from my house the other day. I've been dying to talk about this somewhere, so it's going to get two minutes right here. My wife and I are off at my son's baseball game. It's summertime, and she gets... I get a text first from my daughter, who's at home with a friend. We're like 10 minutes from home, and they're just hanging out at home, I'm assuming watching Netflix, and, and Arden says, there's a helicopter over top of our house. What's going on? And I said, well, hold on. I'll find out. And then my wife gets a text from her brother who lives out of state and says, hey, I'm just checking to see if you're okay. I'm like, what's happening? So then I get a text from a friend who said, hey, is this going on up the street from your house? And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. Is what going on up the street from my house? A married couple, Scott. It seems as though – this is morbid, but I find it funny, and I'm so sorry to say um, – he – Choked her to death, and then he hung himself. <laughs> and I and I, I laughed because they had been married for a really long time. And in my imagination, they just got up one morning. They were sitting across the table from each other, and they went, yeah. how about today? You want to do it today? <laughs> Let's just go. Let's throw down and see what happens. <laughs> um, I'm so sorry for those people and, and, their, and this horrible thing, which you know ended up being really sad. But it only... The funny side of my brain just imagines that they were like, okay, well, we've argued as much as we can. And, um, right. yeah, kids are in college. Let's finish this. <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure it was nothing like that. Anyway, uh, my daughter was fine and everyone was fine. It was a really sad thing. But it, it was it, – yeah. but it, the, the, the extended part of this funny part is my wife's brother texted to see if it was us. <laughs> He said I had heard on the uh, you know, <laughs> I had heard on the news that a married couple had killed each other in your town. And I thought, oh, that's probably Scott and Kelly. <laughs> uh, he's like, we've all been taking bets on one this day. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, so your parents are happy. Okay. <laughs> as far as I'm aware. Or at least they haven't flipped the coin yet to see who gets the stick and who gets the gun, right? <laughs> all right. Anyway. Um but no, I'm a long joking, hopefully funny way of saying that even with all this in your life, like your parents are still like, they're rolling right along. It, it seems to me to have a lot to do with attitude. Do you have the same attitude? I think so. Um, again, I was diagnosed in the summer of 2006. I was taking actually two, I was trying to get into a program in school and university. Just finished my first year. 
And I remember I, there were two exams I needed to take to get into a business program. One was calculus and the other one was economics. I wasn't looking forward to either of these exams. And it was, a, I think, only a couple of days before that I was diagnosed. And they wanted to keep me for a week in the hospital. I said, no, 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 just give me the insulin. I'll, I know it's, I'll figure it out. I need to go take these exams. I went home, did what they told me to do, and wrote the exams. And this sort of the attitude I've had since that day. And plus, you got to see your dad living like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. How much older? Well, I, I think are it you? makes a big. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, just go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm so sorry. Oh, I was just going to say. I, I think it, it's probably a whole different experience. I can imagine it was different for you. I'm again. I don't know your whole history, but I, I don't. I think your your daughter was the first one, right? Who was diagnosed? Yeah. Someone else in your family? Nobody else right, in my so family. I'm, just her. Yeah, so I imagine that would be a whole different situation where you know, you've, you've never, you don't know anything about this disease. Right. Yeah, it yeah. never oh once God, occurred it. to me. Yeah, no, no, at least in the, I, I know I say this like a positive, but at least in the back of your head, you would thought at one point in your life, maybe this will happen to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, and if I you think didn't. I, did. I never thought much more about it than that once again, but that's what I thought. Just yeah. a random thought, yeah. I, th- I thought of it more as I'm not going to be able to eat certain things or it might impact my life. Again, I saw, I saw my dad growing up on a very different insulin regimen than exists now. You couldn't just um, carb count or take a certain amount of insulin to cover what you're eating. Um, you, had to, you had to eat at certain times of the day, eat snacks at certain times of the day. It's very different nowadays. Yeah, of course. That's interesting. But I, of course a kid would see it that way. Like, oh my gosh, this is totally going to cut into my Pop-Tart game. Um, yeah, okay. and that's really interesting. Uh, how much older are you than your brother? Um, six years. Okay, so you had had diabetes for four years before he was diagnosed, something like that? And you were off in college, so was he diagnosed when you were still in school, or were you done then? I was in my second year of law school. Okay, okay, so you were in grad school already, and and moving along. And did he, do you guys ever talk about it on that level? Had you back then? Did he come to you and say, hey, I got it too, high five, we're all in this club together, or... (laughs) You know, I, I, I was living away from home at the time, mm-hmm. um, so I, I didn't see him very much at that time. I don't think we had a lot of conversations about it. We probably talk more about it now than we did back then, strangely enough. Uh, I remember talking to my parents about it. Um, uh, but to be honest, I don't remember having a lot of conversations. No, it's fine. I, I just, think he took it pretty hard. I don't want to talk too much about him. No, 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 I understand. Yeah, you don't have to give away his details at all. It's not, he didn't ask to yeah. on the podcast. I was just wondering if you guys had conversations wrapped around it or if, or if it was just, again, one of those things where it was like, okay, um, because he's a completely different person. He could have had an, a, you know, a completely different experience. It's right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, wow. I know he, oh, I know one thing was he wanted the pump right away. Um, that wasn't, I, I, so I started on the pump about three months after being diagnosed. Okay. Um, my, my mom was always pushing my dad to go on it. I knew what it was because I remember we had this VHS tape in the late nineties uh, from Minimed. Um, I remember watching it with my dad, all these people talking about how great their lives are because they're on the pump. Um, and so I, I knew what that was. I remember my dad, my mom was always pushing my dad to get it because she thought it would help with lows. Um, I think he, he just held out because he thought he was doing fine. And then I think he went on Lantis when that came to Canada, and then he thought, what do I need a pump anymore? Because Lantis is good enough. Um, and then when I was diagnosed, he said, you know what, we should both go on the pump. Because I think he just wanted me to have the best technology that existed at the time. It's so interesting. We talk about it a lot here. I think we talked about it in the last episode that just went off. But it's when it's for you, sometimes it's hard to motivate yourself. But the minute it's for somebody you care about, right. you, you know, then you can do it. So, right. That's right. And he uses a pump to this day? He does to this day. 
and you are, which one are you using? Um, when I do pump, so now I sort of go back and forth. Okay. I pump straight for 11 years. I used the, uh, the Medtronic for the first six years. Then I went on the Omnipod for about four years. Then I sort of went back to Medtronic. And now when I pump, I use the Medtronic. And when I don't pump, I use MBI, uh, Levamir and, and Nova Rapid, and sometimes regular as one, too. What makes you go back and forth? Um, I started having trouble with pump sites. Um, I, I, I don't have a lot of fat on me. I'm pretty lean. And I find a lot of times when I put a site in, it's bleeding, or I put it in, it's working for a little while, and it stops working. And I think just reading a lot of forums and everything, I, I saw a lot of people were trying Traceba and trying new insulins, and a lot of people were having success going back on MDI. So I thought I would give it a shot. I realized I, I was only on it for about three months when I was diagnosed. I don't remember, that, remember struggling, struggling with it particularly, mm-hmm. um, but I thought I would give it a shot. And uh, I thought it was also so, sort of an interesting challenge to see if I could maintain the same level of control that I could on pumping with MDI and pretty well can in all honesty. You got bored. Um, you so, want to, uh, you want to, uh, see if you could up your game a little yeah, bit. <laughs> or diabetes boredom. The real thing. <laughs> I've so have this mastered now. How can I make it harder? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that was the mindset. I no, not that it would you know, go back and forth depending on what I feel like. And that's really interesting. Well, and I mean, good for you, honestly, you should do whatever works, you know? Do you have any kind of uh, sensor technology? We're going to find out if Scott uses a continuous glucose monitor in just a moment. But you know that we do. You know Arden does. Arden's been using the Dexcom forever. Right now, she has the Dexcom G6. That's the latest version of the product. She's used the 5, the 4, the 7 Plus. We've been at this a good long time. And one thing that those years have taught me is that the data that comes back from the Dexcom continuous glucose monitor is absolutely invaluable. The decisions we make, I just don't think would be possible without seeing the speed and direction of Arden's blood sugar. I have the confidence to make boluses and basal adjustments based on what I'm seeing, how her body's reacting to the insulin. These are just things I would never know without the Dexcom G6. Now, if that sounds good to you, if you're up for it, you should check out Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox. There's also links in your show notes in the juiceboxpodcast.com. Any way you get there, once you're there, you can get started. Reach out to Dexcom and tell them, hey, I was listening to the Juicebox podcast and I think I want to try a G6. Can you help? And you know what they're going to say? They're going to say sure, because I mean, they sell them. So, I mean, why would they not, right? Dexcom.com forward slash juicebox, the speed and direction of your blood sugar right there in front of you in real time. And if you're a caregiver, you can actually see someone's blood sugar remotely with share and follow. That's available for Android and Apple. And since I seem to have a little time left, the Dexcom G6 is FDA approved to make insulin decisions without a finger stick. Bonus. I use the Dexcom. I've used the Libra too. Um, I use the Dexcom with Xtrip, actually. With Xtrip. Which is a really interesting um, open source app that works on Android phones. Yeah. Uh, the nice thing about that app is you can customize all the alarms. You can shut them off if you want. Uh, to be honest, I just sort of shut them all off. Um, I, I have it connected to my watch. And I, f- I find a glance at my watch. I've always been a person that glances at my watch. So especially having this on my watch, um, I, I find I'm glancing at it all the time anyway. So the alarms are just redundant for me. Right. And although it would help at night a lot, I like to just get a good night's sleep and just try and do the best I can to make sure my blood sugars are good overnight. 
Right. Uh, so I just shut all the alarms off and you can do that with Xtrip. Um, you can, the sensor will keep working past seven days. And so it, there's, you never have to stop and restart the sensor after seven days. It will just keep working until, until it falls off or until you're not getting results that you like to change it. So I like that too. And the transmitter will work past 90 days. Oh, that's which great. saves me some money. Yeah, it'll, it, it works years. right until the battery absolutely dies. Exactly. Yeah. It's funny. I looked into it at one point, and it was one of those things that I looked at, and I was like, well, I am more of a Surface computer user, I guess, because I think of myself as very kind of computer savvy. There's a lot of things I know how to do and know how to do pretty well. But once you start right. getting into whatever that takes, I was like, okay, well, I okay, never mind. Um <laughs> No, I, I, can, I can definitely sympathize. I, I mean, when I was a kid, I was a really geeky kid who liked to play around with computers. Mm -hmm. And as I got older, I, I got an Apple computer, and now I just want things to work. The last thing I want to do is sit at, sit at home all night trying to figure everything That's out, right. and yeah. download drivers, and other. So, but I, I can definitely understand. I don't know. I'm so I'm 47. I remember being 12 years old, and I saved forever. And to tell you that I grew up broke is an understatement. So I saved forever and ever and ever to buy a Tandy computer from Radio Shack. And I got my money together like it was like out of a movie. Just like stuffed it in my pocket, walked to the other side of town, right. bought this computer, lugged it back home. You know, b back then you hooked it to your television. It didn't have a monitor even. Yep. Like, yeah, hooked it. And I laid on the floor in my, in my living room. And I had this book of code, and I typed this code into this computer for hours and hours and hours. Oh my God. One of those books with like a thick program, and you're just entering lines and lines and lines. Lines and lines of code, right? Yep. And I push enter, and nothing happens. <laughs> so I'm like, damn it, I made a mistake. So I went back and checked the whole thing. I'm telling you, this took two days. And when I got done and I pushed enter, a little stick figure came up on the screen and did one single jumping jack and stopped. <laughs> and how happy were you? I took the computer, put it back in the box, returned it, and got my money back. <laughs> so you're smart. You learned early. I was like, I'm not ever doing anything like that. I couldn't imagine <laughs> what that stick figure could have done that would have made me go, ooh, I'm yeah. a winner. <laughs> So, so, and that was one of the easier codes to put in, you know, and right. I just, I took it back and the, and the, I remember telling the guy, I was like, this doesn't do anything. <laughs> and that was a, I didn't have another computer till Commodore 64, I guess. And then, like a, then they showed you how to play games on computers. And I was like, now this thing has a real purpose in life. Right. So, you could just put a cassette tape in or something or however those work. It was amazing. Floppy, like five and a quarter floppy disk. Yep. But nevertheless, um, I saw X-Trip and I was like, that looks incredibly amazing. I will not be able to do that. Uh, and, and maybe... Actually, I have to say, it's actually quite simpler than you think it is. I'm if sure it was more it's... complicated, I wouldn't want to do it either. Um, downloading it is the hardest part. Okay. Finding the link to download it is probably the biggest step. See, now here's... here's this is going to really be an insight into my mind, but my biggest um, impediment would be reading the instructions and staying interested yeah. while I was reading them. Um <laughs> I'm, if anyone's ever gotten an email back from me and they're like, that wasn't what I asked, that's just because I read a third of your email and then I was like, oh, I totally understand what this person wants. I don't need to keep reading. <laughs> so I'm trying to teach as I get older, I do a lot better, um, especially because people's correspondence with me now is more personal and I don't, want, I don't want to respond back and go, wow, great job. And they're like, no, I just said my A1C was nine. And so, um, so I, I'm a different person now, but I am just a, 
you know, some things in my life I'm happy to work through, but I'm a fix it and forget. Like, I'm just a set it and forget it kind of guy if I can be, you know. Oh, and I, I'm, as I said, I'm becoming more, as, as there's more responsibilities in my life, um, I, I like to keep things simple. Sure, so I agree with you, especially with technology. You said you were um, in law school when you found out about your brother. Are you an attorney now? I am, yes. Cool. I'm a criminal lawyer, um, so I'm in court every day, uh, which I think the, the hardest part about being diabetic and going to court is a lot of people are worried about having low blood sugars. Mm -hmm. um, my problem is having high blood sugars. Um, so I, I find the adrenaline and the anxiety, and I'm, I don't seem nervous on the outside, but I've, I've learned through diabetes that I'm very nervous on the inside. I'm speaking in court. I don't think anyone would notice if they saw me talking. Yeah. Um, but if I look at my Dexcom, I'll just see a straight up arrow. The minute I stand up and start speaking in court. Wow. Um, so that's always been a challenge for me. And I find high blood sugars can actually be at times worse than low blood sugars. Um, I, I find I, I have trouble speaking. My mouth gets really dry. I have trouble recalling facts and details. Uh, my memory doesn't work as well. Um, it makes me sort of want to go to sleep. Are you prosecuting um, or are you defending? Defending. <laughs> you imagine looking over to the guy and being like, dude, I really don't think you did this, but I got to tell you, man, it's nappy time. So good luck. And, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> so that wouldn't be too good. Scott just needs to shut his eyes for a second. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to say anything incriminating until I get up, until my blood sugar comes yep. back down. No, I mean, so do you have, I mean, how, how do you combat that? Um, if I'm using my pump, I use temporary basal rates, which it's still an imperfect solution because it has to be done. I have to make sure I start the higher basal rate about an hour or two before mm -hmm. anything that's going to give me anxiety. And I don't always know when that will be. Yeah. Um, and there's times when it doesn't happen. There's times when I'm going to speak to something in court and for whatever reason, it just does what I when I think I'm going to be anxious inside, I'm not. And if I set a temporary basal rate, I'm going to be going, I'm going, to be going low. And if there's other times when I just can't time it properly and I haven't set the basal high enough, early enough in advance, and then all of a sudden my blood sugar is going high. Um, on MDI, I, and the nice thing about Levomir is it's an insulin that has a very specific duration and it's dependent on the dose and you can, you can split it and take it every 12 hours. Yeah. And so what I can do with it is if I wake up early in the morning, I can take a little bit more than I would normally take. And that helps a lot. Okay. And I, I use regular insulin as well. Um, so I can, I can take that a little bit in advance of going to court. Now that, that's almost, that almost works like a temporary basal rate because it stays in your system for about four to six, six to eight hours, I guess. And it takes a little bit longer to kick in. Well, you, you mentioned a couple things there that first of all, we used to split Arden's Levomir too every 12 hours. That made a huge difference. Um, but also I don't know how much of the podcast you listen to historically, but you just retold the take Arden to basketball and bolus for adrenaline story, except you told it as being a, an attorney and going to court. Like, do you know that? I can see the similarities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I, no, I haven't heard that one. Yeah, it's just, it's just, she's a really competitive kid. So you take right. her into a basketball game back when she was little and her blood sugar could be a hundred, it could be 90, it could be perfect. And 20 minutes into the game, it's 220 and the arrow straight up and it's going crazy. Exactly. And I eventually had to bring myself to bolus a 100 blood sugar as she began to start playing basketball. Right. But what happens on the days when the other team's not very good, so they don't put up much of a fight, and she doesn't feel the adrenaline because they're just cruising through the game? And like, how do I handle that, right? And so I started bolusing that amount of insulin that I knew a juice box could cover if she didn't need it. And it worked. And then told that story on this podcast and the amount of correspondence I hear back on that one idea and how that idea helped people to 
use the amount of insulin that they needed. They were always scared to use more, but they could never decide how like to decide on like what's more like what can I safely add to this just to see where things are and I didn't even realize right. it when I told the story and I just used it again yesterday on a private call with somebody I was like just over bolus for whatever you can control with some fast acting insulin and and oh, that's yeah and that's and so I'm now imagining you <laughs> I'm like that by the way, Canada, powdered wigs, no powdered wigs. Just help me for a second. <laughs> we, do, we do wear robes, though. Robes. <laughs> in, right. in, in higher court, so not in, not generally when I'm in court, I'm wearing a suit. But we do, like Britain and Australia, in our superior court, um, in Supreme Court, and Court of Appeal, and higher levels of court, um, you do wear the robes. They wear the robes. But not the wigs. We don't wear the wigs anymore. So in your, in, uh, so now we're going to get off this for a second. So are you a, like, <laughs> how do you refer to yourself? Or do you, are you an attorney, a lawyer, a barrister? How do you? Barrister. Barrister and solicitor. So, um, it's 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 more like it's a sort of a hybrid between the, the British system and the American system. Mm-hmm. So every lawyer is technically the, the same as in in the states. Everyone is an attorney at law. Here we say barrister and solicitor because because you're both. Every lawyer is both. Okay. Um, in Britain, barristers and solicitors are um, serve different functions. Right? Barristers would argue cases in court. Um, they don't represent individual clients. They work for solicitors, and the solicitors represent the clients. And solicitors do the paperwork and preparing the case. Um, here it's much more like the American system, where uh, it was, what, I, what I do is akin to what an attorney would do in the United States. But, I, but technically, I'm a barrister and solicitor. Um, outside of the, le- of the legal profession, people don't generally use that term. We would just say lawyer. <laughs> you don't talk yeah. to other people you know who are attorneys and go, I'm a barrister. And the guy goes, as right. am I. Yeah. That would be pretentious. <laughs> and the person overseeing that you can is it is judge the word you use? We do use yeah, judge. Okay. Does the judge? And we, we finally say your honor. I think I think about long before I became a lawyer, we used to say uh, my lord and my lady. And there's still some older judges who like to hear that. Nice. That's interesting. Um, do do you when you go into like so? I'm assuming you work in the same building very frequently and uh, see the same judges over and over again. Do they know you have diabetes? No. No. Not at all. No, it's not something I would. I've, luckily, I've never been in a situation where I've had to excuse myself for, for a diabetic purpose. I hope it stays that way. So, right. No, it's, it's not something I would talk about. No. Yeah, or, um, yeah and not that you should or you shouldn't. I'm just interested to know yeah. if um, – because you would think that then they could – I mean, if they if a judge was listening to you say something and they didn't agree with you and they thought – couldn't they start to think, I wonder if this guy's as clear-headed as he should be right now? Right, and that's right. That's, that's actually – I remember you, you were the one who talked about when uh, Trump mentioned that uh, the Supreme Court judge had diabetes. Yeah. I can't remember what the quote was, but something like diabetes, no good. Yeah, yeah he said di- he, he, was, he was at a, apparently they, the report was he was at a private function and they were talking about Supreme Court justices or something. And he was inferring that he was going to get his chance to make replacements. And he, right. he, he, what it was. Yeah, yeah. He looked Soda, at Sotomayor, Sotomayor and he said, and he said to the person, diabetes, no good. Like, don't worry, that one will die soon. Like, like that kind of a feeling. Um, Unfortunately, I think there's, there's more enlightened people than Donald Trump who have the same mentality about diabetes. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, they just see you sort of as, um, I guess, broken or, or on your way to something right. worse or something like that. I remember my, da- my dad actually told me a story when he was uh, working at a company a long time ago in the 80s, I think. Mm-hmm. And they went on a ro- with his boss and someone else. I think they had to go on a road trip somewhere, and he was driving. And then his boss found out he had diabetes, and he said, oh, my God, if I knew you had diabetes, I never would have let you drive. Oh, well, then there you go. 
because he hadn't been driving his entire life, right? <laughs> and 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 it makes you wonder why. Like, what was what was in the back of that guy's head that made him think, "Oh, letting this man drive is an incredible mistake." That's you know creating an unsafe situation for us. You know, you know, is it something he saw in Matlock in 1983? And yeah, you, exactly. you know. And by the way, isn't that crazy? Did I just pull Matlock? Is Matt was Matlock an attorney? He was. Oh my god. I've never actually seen the show, but I think you will. I've never seen Matlock either, but now I know that my higher function is still working. <laughs> because some days I'm so tired, I'm like, I'm not sure how this is going to go. There is always the fear that I'm going to get on a podcast one day and just go, so you got diabetes, huh, Scott? <laughs> just can, you, talk. can you talk about that for 59 more minutes, please? Because <laughs> I can't form a thought. All right, so you wouldn't tell them, you wouldn't even ever consider you telling them. So then let's slide that into your personal life. You said you have a girlfriend. I'm assuming she's not your first one in your 30s, unless she is, and then I'm so sorry. Uh, but but, but um, how much can you imagine? <laughs> Scott, the virgin, Scott the Virgin Barrister, next on the Juicebox Podcast. <laughs> so, um, uh, now I'm going to want to call it Virgin Barrister just so people can make it this far and go. find out why. Uh, that's what they're going to think, though, when they hear me. <laughs> so, so how? <laughs> I'm so sorry. How much of your diabetes uh, is is part of the conversation or your life with a person that you're dating? I'm not sure if you all made a New Year's resolution together, but the traffic I'm seeing going to the Omnipod and Dexcom links is stunning. I want to thank you first for that, but I want to also give you a lot of credit for taking control, for deciding to make a change. I'm actually very excited because I know how happy you're going to be when you get the Omnipod tubeless insulin pump. First, the demo comes and you try it on and it's exciting, but then it shows up. And you know, it, at first, switching to a new pump or from MDI to a pump, it's different, right? You have to figure things out again, but I hope that the things we talk about here on the podcast make that all much easier for you. So your pods will arrive and you'll get your basal rates set up and get your boluses set up the way you want them. And then the next thing that occurs to you is, oh my gosh, I just can have a snack or my son can have a snack and I'll push this button and we'll just keep going with our day. Something that used to be, you know, get out an insulin pen, get out a vial, pull out a syringe, you know, pull up your sleeve, pull down your pants. I don't know where you're injecting. And then, oh, here comes the needle, everybody ready? And the needle happens. And then you hold it in for a second and you wait and wipe it off. And everything that has to happen around that, that all goes away with an insulin pump. And some of the problems that you hear people talking about with an insulin pump, like tubing getting stuck in their clothes or they have to take it off for a shower and then they forget to put it back on, that stuff doesn't exist with Omnipod. So come on, get a demo right now. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice box or the links in your show notes or at juiceboxpodcast.com. Let Omnipod send you out a no-obligation, absolutely free demo pod. You can try it on and see what you think. Arden has been using an Omnipod every day for 10 years, almost 11 years. It's absolutely one of the best decisions that we've ever made. How much of your diabetes is part of the conversation or your life with a person that you're dating? Probably more in this relationship than it's been in the past. And the reason being is because just before, it was actually well early on when we were dating uh, was when I got the Dexcom. I never had a CGM before that. And that's when I started to experiment and sort of take a different view on diabetes. And I, th I think it was something when I was diagnosed, I did fine. Once again, I went on the pump, I did fine. My A1Cs were always in the high fives or low sixes. 
So it was never, you know, every time I went to the endo, he told me I'm doing fine. Um, I thought I was pretty knowledgeable about it. And I never really thought about it. And as life went on, I started to slip into the, you know, I never did terrible, but I started to slip into the high sixes and low sevens. And I, I started to have less of a handle on it than I thought I did. Probably a lot of, probably some of the reasons were I wasn't honeymooning anymore. Um, pump infusion sites don't work as well as they do uh, when you've never worn a pump before or when you've only worn a pump for a few years. I definitely left my, my sights on way too long when I was in university. I would, you know, I remember times when I would leave one on for seven days and it would just be, the tube would just be dangling out of me and I just put some tape on it. So I was too lazy to change it. Um, I'm sure that I've accumulated some scar tissue from that. Um, so I, I started to, I realized one day I needed to do something. Um, just because I, I, again, I find high blood sugars are the hardest thing to deal with, not even low blood sugars. Sure. And especially with my job, I want, I wanted to minimize having high blood sugars as much as possible. Mm-hmm. And so I started looking into CGMs and I found out about the Dexcom decided to try it and so it was it was sort of early on we were dating so it became a conversation topic and when you wear the dexcom it's, it's much easier to or when you wear the dexcom and if you're like me when i'm constantly looking at my cgm i'm constantly thinking about what my blood sugar is so it's hard for it not to be a topic of conversation um so it's, it's definitely i think it's been more present in this relationship than it's been in past ones Does she have a, a passing understanding of insulin and diabetes oh, yeah. or or is it more than that um she has a pretty good understanding i would say have you ever needed uh, her help the way your father needed your mom? No. It's a different world. It really is. He was probably just taking that regular MPH and then not eating enough and used to watch it happen. Yeah, I think, again, I think now if, if I have a low blood sugar, there's usually an, usually an explanation for why it happened. Yeah. And it, at least for me, they're much more, they're milder than anything I ever remember my dad having mm-hmm. when I was a kid. Um, I've never been in a situation where I haven't been able to help myself. Or even if I, if I go low in the middle of the night, I'll usually wake up. Or even if I sleep through it, it doesn't seem to be a huge deal. Right. Yeah, yesterday, uh, it's you know, summer vacation here, and Arden's birthday is coming up this weekend. She's having a bunch of girls over. And she just came downstairs yesterday and like made the announcement that the house was not clean enough for her party and that she would be cleaning. And I was like, I'm all right. Like, I don't know if she's trying to insult me, but I was like, go nuts, clean whatever you want. And so, uh, she spent the entirety of my, of the day yesterday cleaning and snacking. And like, you know, every once in a while I'd see like a big bowl of grapes yeah. in the kitchen and she was eating them as she was going by. And so we had a couple of, a couple of times yesterday where her blood sugar tried to get low and we just kept using the snacking to feed the lows. But you know, right. that, that was the worst that happened yesterday was like, you know, was a situation where I was like, Hey, you know, your blood sugar's 78, and I think it's drifting down. So keep an eye on it. And then all of a sudden, I was like, hey, you know what? It's going under 70. Now it's time to get a snack. And she'd be like, um, just as soon as I vacuum this. But then that turned into 65. And I was like, well, now the food's not going to work fast enough. So, you know, like that kind of thing. But nothing emergency-like. Just, you, you know, like that's the worst that happened. You know, I mean, a really scary low. I mean, I, once a year, twice a year maybe. You know, and even right. by that, I mean, like, it's one of those lows where you're like, okay, we're going to drink two of these juices and eat this thing and let's shut your basil off. And, you, you know, and let's just wait a second and test and watch the Dexcom and stuff like that. Nothing where right. I'm like, oh, my God, she's going to die. You, you, you know, nothing like that. Yeah, it's, I think it's, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's, there are still people who, I hope not, but I'm, I'm sure there's still people who were being low as much, a much bigger emergency for them. Of course. Um, but yeah, I've, I've never had that experience. I've, I've never had a time when I needed help from anyone or had to go to the hospital or, mm-hmm. um, needed anyone to force food down my throat or anything like that. Um, so. I was going to ask you, uh, cause I just saw on somebody, somebody I was following on something, social media is 
I'm so there's so much of it. But so somebody on something, there you go, <laughs> was in Canada uh, vacationing yeah. and needed insulin and went to the store and without a prescription bought like a vial of Humalog yeah. for like thirty one dollars or something like that. That's right. That's about right. That's that's exactly yeah thirty six dollars thirty six exactly okay and so how do you when you go in do you like do you have like a secret decoder ring that proves you're diabetic or how does that work? Um, you basically just ask for insulin and they give you it. <laughs> no kidding. I'm, I'm not aware of any problems that have happened from that happening. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be the type of drug. I mean, and we we certainly have issues with drug addiction just like there are in in the United States. Um, there's there's a lot of issues and certainly with oxy's and all, right. all sorts of different drugs up here, but um. Insulin doesn't seem to be one of those drugs that people who are not diabetic <laughs> have any interest in taking. Is there a limit um, on how much you could buy when you walk into a, a pharmacy? No, no, nothing that I'm aware of. I've never bought enough to, to be told I can't buy anymore. Um, how it works is generally you would, you would have a prescription if you have private insurance. Right. So we still, even though we have a public health care system, um, medications are, at least in my province, each province is different. Mm -hmm. um, if you're over 24, they just changed it. But if you're over 24, you still need private insurance uh, to buy medication. And if you don't have that you have to pay out of pocket, or maybe there's some assistance programs, but they're, they're not very good, uh, from my understanding. Uh, luckily, insulin is cheap enough here that if you have a, some type of employment, you can usually afford to pay for it out of pocket. Again, it's about the same price as what regular cost is Walmart in the States right. uh, for Hubalog or for Novo, Novolog, what we call Novo Rapid up here. Um, but so if you have private insurance, you do need a prescription for to get reimbursed for it. So you would still get a prescription from your doctor. You would have a prescription on file at the pharmacy. It would work the same as it does in the United States. And you would have um, But there's no requirement for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Does, is, the, is insulin pricing subsidized by the government system? It's not subsidized, but there's, there's heavy. So when a, when a pharmaceutical company wants to introduce a drug to Canada, um, they can't just sell it at whatever price they want. It's not a free market. Mm -hmm. um, they have to negotiate the price with them. Um, I'm not sure what it's called, but there's a there's either a government board or a board that works uh, closely with the government okay. um, that regulates prices. So they have to be able to, it, it has to be sold at what they determine to be a fair price. And if they want to sell it for more than what a current drug is selling for, they have to prove that, it, that it's of more value and more benefit. So certain drugs still do cost certain amounts. Insulin can still be expensive. Levomir and, and Lantus are more expensive than, than Humalog and Novorapid. Um, but it's, it's still much, much cheaper than it is in the United States. I imagine if this was a Harry Potter story, it would be called the Ministry of Medicine. Uh, so let's just go, we'll just go with that. Uh, again, you're in sort Toronto. Of. <laughs> again, Scott's in Toronto. It's probably like almost exactly the same as Philadelphia, where I grew up. And, yeah. and I still in the back of my mind, he's at the top of a, a very tall pine tree avoiding a brown bear right now doing the podcast. But in fact, Scott, you are in the parking lot of a Tim Let's Hortons. Go with that. I like that image better. <laughs> Scott's in the parking lot of a Tim Hortons stealing their, uh, stealing their Wi-Fi. <laughs> some, there ought to be an award for the, for how some people make time to be on the podcast. It really is. There's somebody, I forget who it was one time did, did it from their car at work and it was summertime and I said, look, it's too noisy with the air conditioner on. So they shut the air conditioner off. And I was like, you really want to be on the podcast? Yeah. Uh, I would have said no at that point. I would have been like, I'm sorry, I can't do this. But, but she persisted. That was amazing. She persisted. Mm -hmm. um, oh, so, so I have a question that you are uniquely qualified to answer that has nothing to do with diabetes. But I won't stay on it too long. So on another podcast that I listen to, every once in a while, they read tweets from something called Scan BC. So it's the police scanner from British Columbia is what I'm guessing. And why are the crimes so delightful in Canada? 
like it's always like man comes into a building says that if he doesn't get his underwear back he's going to go nuts it's like literally like that and 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 when people do hurt each other they only hit or stab each other they never shoot each other why are these things true or am i wrong it's, you're partially right and partially wrong okay. um again it depends on the area of your can- of canada that you're in mm-hmm. um we do apparently you're right it's there's, there's much less crime, far less crimes by firearms than there are with um, stabbings. Um, I understand our rate of violent crime is actually higher than the United States other than the firearms, so, th- so that would be a myth um, that we have less crime, number one. Um, firearms are, are certainly still a problem here, but more in urban areas. So again, now, while it, it, I'm not saying it's anywhere comparable to Chicago or New York mm-hmm. or, or you know, maybe, maybe major American cities, uh, but we do have a, we have a major gun problem in Toronto. There are shootings every day. This summer has been uh, particularly horrendous. Um, we have gang shootings. Um, we have um, dr- drug and gun-related crimes. Um, we have a lot of the crimes that you would think only, you know, people think, I guess when people think of Canada, they're thinking of a, this northern utopia where nobody hurts each other, there's no guns, and, but it's, it's not true. Um, we, we certainly, again, I wouldn't be in business. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. crimes. Yeah. And yeah, it, is, it, is, it is getting scary a little bit. Um, okay. there, there are a lot of certainly serious problems with gun violence in Toronto. Um, and no one knows what to do about it. And again, I, I don't think it's at the level of the United States. We certainly don't have the, the number of mass shootings. I would say that's different. It's more gang-related violence and more just people being shot in the crosshairs or the crossfire. Right, right. Of, of gangs shooting at each other, but it's it's, it's a major, major problem. Um, it's funny because all I am imagining is the cast of Strange Brew going crazy and shooting a bunch of people, and I know that's incredibly unfair, uh, but. <laughs> Even when you said when you I know imagine, what that is. it's a little before my time, but I know <laughs> when you said when you imagine Canada, like a picture of Dudley Do Right popped up in my mind. I was, I was like, a poor country has been shaped for me by a cartoon and a movie about beer, and that's not right. Yeah, <laughs> you're describing a real place, Scott. <laughs> but I guess in the more rural areas, when people lose their you know, their ass and they go nuts on people. It's always just like, you know, this guy said that he shouldn't have been in his backyard. So, and, and they're just the most, if you haven't seen this Twitter handle, you have to, yeah, follow. I'll have to say, I haven't seen it, but I'll have to take it's a look at fascinatingly. It. <laughs> it's the, it's, it's, it generally is like, why are these people involved in such delightfully amusing crime? It, it's, um, I'll send it to you. Well, I'm, I'm happy. I mean, I'm, I'm happy. That's the case. Yeah. <laughs> and I hope the majority of crimes are like that. Uh, but I, I think, yeah, I think, I think the one problem, and I think as a Canadian, I, I think we should talk about um, the problems that we have. I think I think one thing that often happens with being a Canadian is people just want to talk about how great Canada is, and oh, at least we don't have the problems that they have in the United States. Right. But I think what that does is it, it doesn't expose the real problems that we do have, and there's still a lot of issues that we need to work on. We have very serious problems, um, and they need to be talked about. And so it's it's nice that people have a good perception of us, and I'm I'm glad that Americans um, generally think that crime is much lower here and that it's very safe, and we're all civil to each other. And if, if you come up here, there's, you know, guns aren't a problem. And I'm glad, again, I'm glad those, those stereotypes exist, but at the same time, it's, it's not necessarily true. And I think these things need to be talked about by, at least by ourselves, because we're not going to solve these problems if we don't talk about them. Well, it's obviously, I don't know whose fault it is. Rick Moranis. Yeah. yeah maybe <laughs> um, that guy from Saturday Night Live, he seems so nice too, from way back in the day, who's Canadian. I don't know. Yeah. I can't think yeah, of Yeah, there were a few of them. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of the one I'm thinking of. He's always doing something with Steve Martin now that they're older. All right. 
that's not coming to me. Okay. I don't know. Matt Myers, I'm trying to <laughs> No, no, not him. Yeah, there, was, there, were like a slew of, there, was, there were a whole bunch of Canadians Saturday Night Live in the early 90s, right? Yeah, yeah, and for sure. Apparently, there haven't been any since Norm MacDonald. That's a shame. Which I, I just heard that on a podcast somewhere, and I, was, I couldn't believe that when I heard that, yeah. Norm is spectacular. People who don't understand why yeah. Norm MacDonald is so funny, I feel badly for. I know. He's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> never going to be quite mainstream, but he's fa- you've oh. never. I, I, my favorite part about Norm Macdonald is he will tell a long, drawn out joke that appears yep. to go almost nowhere, and then it just stops. And you have to understand that that's what's funny. And if you don't, you will be, I guess, cripplingly bored by Norm Macdonald. Right. <laughs> and from what I understand from hearing people talk about him, that's just how he is. It's not even Mac. He's just like that in real life. Oh, yeah. Like at some point in his real life, he was like, people think I'm funny. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't have to change anything or come up with an act or anything like that. (laughs) That's absolutely fantastic. All right. So this has gotten way off the rails, Scott, but we have 15 minutes left. So what are we going to do important for these 15 minutes? Let's talk a little bit about how you manage. So how much of this are you willing to be open about? Do you, are you comfortable saying what your A1C is? It was my, so my last, since I, Got a Dexcom. My A1C has been five, five point four, and five point four. Okay. Do you have any so real restrictions? That, think, restrictions on food? Yeah. I do. Um, again, a lot of it depends what mood, what mood I'm in. I tried. I've, tr- I've tried many things. Um, I tried even. I'm sure you're familiar with Dr. Bernstein and the low carb movement. Yeah. yeah. I, I tried that for a few weeks. Um, it is amazing. Definitely works. Right. I felt like I wasn't even diabetic. Um, you don't have to even pay as much attention, attention to your diabetes as you do when you're, when you're eating carbs. Uh, but it's really hard to sustain and it, not even, not even that the diet itself is hard to sustain. I think it's just hard to function in real life, sustain that, to be around other people, uh, to have a girlfriend, to be with your friends and, and to eat like that. I, I just found it absolutely impossible. And especially again, I live in a city. I'm often, I'm often on the go, taking the subway, walking, um, gra- just grabbing food as I'm on the go. Yeah. Um, it, it just doesn't, it doesn't really work with my lifestyle. And I think that's probably true for a lot of people. And that's why I don't think that diet is a solution for a lot of, for the majority of people. If it works for people, fantastic. Your girlfriend never looks at you when you're walking down the street and says, let's stop at the meat store and get some meat. Things that don't have carbs. No, I know like life is not set up in a, in, for, for, so if you want to have a perfect day one C and flat lines all the time, that, that is the diet for you. Yeah. I think for, for people who are really struggling with control and, and struggling with lows or highs or, or it's really crippling them. I, I think they should try something more, maybe more towards that, but mm-hmm. it's, it's very hard to sustain. Um, so now what I do is I, I, it's sort of a hybrid. I mean, I, and I sort of judge it by how my day is going. So if, if I'm in court, again, I've, I've talked about the anxiety that I have, um, low carb when I'm in court, definitely. So if, if I'm in the middle of a trial, I wouldn't go for, for to Subway for lunch because I know when I come back, I'm, I'm going to spike. What I find is when I, when I bolus uh, or take an injection when I'm anxious, insulin just absorbs like water. It's completely, it's almost completely useless. And I have to take very large amounts of it for it to have any effect. To get back your adrenaline. Um, so I try and, right. So maybe, maybe I won't eat lunch or maybe I'll just eat um, chicken salad or something with not a lot of carbs. Um, on the weekend, it's an, it's an entirely different story, you know. Um, and it also depends on my activity level. If I'm, if I'm hiking or if I'm, if I'm running around a lot on the weekend or something, then, then I might eat lots of carbs because they're just going to be, it's not going to, it's not going to spike. Yeah. Do you ever find yourself in that situation? You're at work, you know, you can't go out and have something with a roll or something like that. Do you ever, do you ever sit down and 
are you ever angry about it? Do you ever think that's not what this is not what I want for lunch? But I'm going to eat it because it's the right thing to do. Or do you have a more, I guess what I'll call an adult uh, reaction to it, where just this is how it is and this is what I need to do. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I've ever been angry or never. I mean, there's certain times when, again, when I've been in court and I'm anxious and I'm really hungry and I'd just like to eat a Subway sub or something or a slice of pizza or something like that. And I just wish I could eat something like that. Uh, you know, I, I, I guess I get upset about it, but it's, it's not something I think about too much. I'd rather, I'd rather feel good. You want to feel good? Do what I just did. I went to the Dancing for Diabetes Instagram page and what pops up? Photos from this weekend where they were raising money to find a cure for type 1. That's right, they don't just help kids living with type 1 through dance, they're also raising money for a cure. Dancingfordiabetes.com. Check them out. Yeah, that's more important. No, and your overall health is good? Yeah. You don't struggle with your weight or anything like that? or nope. No struggles with my weight. No other health problems, that I'm, luckily, that I'm aware of. Um, so, I mean, I mean, there's, there's certainly certain times, there's certain things I don't eat. Again, I only drink Diet Coke. I would never drink, I would never dream of drinking regular Coke. Mm-hmm. I don't care. I've, I've grown up with it. Right. So I'm used to it. Yeah. Um, co- I love coffee and hey, if coffee with cream doesn't have any effect on my blood sugar. So that's a great one. Um, rice. I know I find rice is a bad one to eat. I think it was Victor Garber or someone you had on talked about. He doesn't eat rice anymore. Yeah. Um, Canadian, yeah, I find the same thing. I, I try and avoid it. This is a very Canadian-friendly diabetes that. podcast, by the way, Scott. I'm realizing. Yeah, now that I think about it, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even realize <laughs> when I said that. I just, I just remember him saying that. Yeah, like he um, couldn't figure out rice or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I do remember I, that. I find, I find it's also easier if, if you stick with one carb. So if, if, if I'm going to go out for a burger, if I eat a burger and fries, it's going to be a lot more difficult than manage, just managing the burger. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll get a burger and salad. Again, I think that's healthier anyway, and that's that's sort of the way I tried to eat before I was diagnosed. Um, but this, I don't think it has that much of an impact on my life. And there's times when you know what I just say, I'm, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to get a burger and fries because that's what I feel like, and I'll just try and take as much insulin as possible and deal with the consequences. Okay, so so that's my. I have two questions. I I cut you off earlier. You yep. said that your A1C is five four now, but prior to and you, were you going to say prior to Dexcom? Prior to Dexcom, it was. I think my one before that was either 6.9 or 7.2, okay. something around there. Well, that's a great improvement. And so, um, and not that 6.9 or 7.2 is a bad A1C, but this is oh. a big leap, you know? So, okay. It's so a big you, leap. And it's, I'm sorry. I was sorry. just going to say, um, it, it's nothing my, doc, my doctor ever pushed. My doctor was always told me that was great. That was a great number. Right. Um, you know, people, the goal, of course, is always to be under seven. So if you're around seven, he always thought that was fine. Um, I just found it, you know, that, that number can be masked also, even if, even if it sounds like an okay number. Um, that could be as a result of lots of highs and lows, and I think my standard deviation was was much much higher before. Now you now you have more stability, more balance. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So you go out. So how do you handle things? Like right now, Arden just finished. Uh, I don't know what the word is we're going to use, but Arden just finished up her lady time, and so she was. Right. Um, it was harder for the last couple of days. Like being aggressive was. Like I had to be really aggressive with blood sugars and temp basils yep. and all that stuff. And we did an okay job, but this was her first. She's only 14, just started up with this part of her life, you know, a handful or more months ago. This may have been the first, um, um, I don't know how to put it. I'm not a girl. But uh, the first couple may have been like training wheel periods. This might have been the first real one, I guess is what we're saying. Okay. And so... I'm learning. I'm going to do a better job next month than I did this month because I now see that I need to increase basal rates across the board for days. And and so I'm, right. going to, I'm figuring it out. But on her Dexcom line about 12 hours ago, 
you can genuinely see it just stop. And now we're right back to where we were. Like her blood sugar is 88 right now. It's 88. It's almost 11 o'clock in the morning. And if I look very quickly at a 12 hour line, she's been between 88 and 70 for the last 12 hours. But if I go the 12 hours before that, it was blood sugar trying to go to 150, blood sugar trying to go to 200, bolusing, like all this, you know, it it was, I just didn't do a good job with it the first time, but I, I did need to see it once so that I can kind of imagine what to do next. Right. Now that you've seen things on your Dexcom, you've had it for a while. When you decide to just throw caution to the wind at lunch, like how do you handle it? Is it with a pre-bolus and you're, you're injecting? So do you, how do you handle all that? I'm not the best at pre-bolusing. Actually, one thing I found is when it's much more important when you're on the pump, at least for me. Um, I find the absorption is much better um, when, you, when, when taking an injection. So I don't find it as important. Um, I've tried Fiaspa in the past, and it worked great at first. And then I found the more I used it, I've, I've started to have some issues with it. I find just honestly just injecting Nova Rapid. If I'm not stressed or if I'm getting a moderate level of activity or it's just, a, it's just an average day, it works pretty fast find after I inject it, it'll start working in about 10 minutes or so, um, which is fast enough that I don't find I need to pre-bolus too much. Obviously, with certain foods, it's more important. If I was eating a bagel, it's more important. If I was eating, I don't know, all kinds of things you can name, it's more important. Um, but I, I just try and take, like, I, I think what's interesting is I remember you saying, uh, forget carb counting, you know, you just, you just sort of, you, you sort of go with your gut at the end of the day, don't right, you? Right, yeah. And you're not even diabetic. You're, you're doing it for some, on behalf of someone else, which is amazing. And you're, you're just sort of, I, I bet you're doing an, an implicit calculation that you don't even think about um, based on where the blood sugar's been, the activity level, at where you expect it to be. Um, all, all sorts of even inquantifiable things. Yeah, it just happens. Um, and that's sort second. of the way I approach it, too. Yeah. I, I, think it's, I think if you're just going to stick with a carb ratio, inject, test two hours later, you're always going to end up terrible. Mm-hmm. You know, it's never going to be the same. Um, so I, I just have to sort of go on my, go with my intuition, go with when I've eaten this meal before, how did I end up, how much insulin did I need? I try and remember, well, not that I'm recording everything, but I just try and go off, go off my memory. Right. And sometimes it works great and sometimes it doesn't. But the truth is that's just how diabetes is. And there's, there's too many variables. And it's, it's, even if I wrote everything down and tried to log everything and, you know, tried to quantify every single, every single variable that exists, I still think it would be different every time. Right. Yeah. So all I can do is try my best. And you would give away most of your life to that and not have that much yeah. of a better outcome. Exactly. So if I'm eating a burger and fries, you know, maybe I'll, I'm just giving an example, but maybe I'll think, okay, I'm going to inject uh, six units to start with. And then I'm going to, if I'm not on my pump, I'll use regular, I'll take some regular insulin too for the fat and protein digestion. So maybe I'll take three units of regular insulin. And often that's not even enough. And I'll, you know, I'll keep watching my Dexcom, just glancing at it. And if I see, if I see, I sort of have to go by the arrows too. I sort of know after I eat a meal, it should take about 40 minutes to an hour. Right. And I'll get a slanted arrow. If I get a straight up arrow or two straight up arrows, that means I didn't take nearly enough. Do you just um, put more in right That away. never happens to me. So I'll take more. Yeah. That's what um, we would do. Again, too. it's not perfect. Insulin is not, does not work as fast as where we need it to be. Even with all these advancements, even with fiasco. Um, if what I find is if, if I'm, if I haven't bullets directly and I'm spiking, a lot of the times it's, I can stop it, but it's hot. It's still going to take too long. So it's not a perfect system, but it's certainly having Dexcom or a CGM certainly makes it easier. Yeah, no, I definitely do. I mean, the other day I did it with, we had, you know, 
like I said, period plus Arden got up in the morning. She's like, I'm going to have a bowl of cereal. And I was like, okay, her blood sugar was 80. I was like, that's no problem. And I, right away, I was like, this is how much insulin. I know how much insulin to do. So we put it, put it all in. She ate the cereal. Everything's going along great. 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Then all of a sudden diagonal up like 120. And I'm like, this isn't right. Like I gave her enough insulin for this not to happen. And then I waited five more minutes to see one more reading. But in honesty, I could have tested then or just trusted myself because then the arrow went straight up 135. And then I was just like, more insulin. She's like, how much more? I'm like, I don't know. Just push the button. Get more going. Like, we'll figure it out in a second. Exactly. <laughs> just more. And so, um, and so we put in a couple more units. And it stopped at around 150 and brought it back again. And it just, you know, so she basically needed about, I don't know, 20% more insulin than she was going to need. I had a fair pre-bolus going, uh, and she was starting with a you know an 80 blood sugar, so I, I felt good about it. And in the past, I've handled that no problem. Then I go back and look again and realize maybe it was this. The bowl she picked up was bigger than the bowl I thought she picked up. And we don't measure it or anything like that. Yeah, so exactly, no. You know, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like granola cereal, like straight from nature. It was Apple Jacks. <laughs> she was like, she was like, here, this is just bad for me. How much of this can fit in this bowl? Um, and, Although interestingly, I, I find some, sometimes those cereals are easier to eat than those granola cereals. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, because they're not as dense with stuff yeah. that hangs out in your system forever and ever right yeah at least it's a big spike from the sugar and then the fructose and then it's and then, yeah, gone after over that. fast yeah but th- that's a good example where you still kept her numbers very reasonable she never went up to, to the 300s or anything like that scott uh, i can't tell obviously- you i'm sorry i was gonna say i can't tell you that if i ate apple jacks my blood sugar wouldn't go to 150 yeah i don't know yeah it, it very well i don't might. think there's enough data I've, I've always wondered what what it would look like for people who aren't diabetic i think there's some stuff you can find online but there isn't a lot of it. Well, I have an old G5 here. Maybe I should uh, slap it on for a week and then yeah, there you go. I'll be 10 pounds heavier by the week's over. But I'll be like, let me tell you what I learned about rice and Apple Jacks and Pop-Tarts. And <laughs> 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 oh, my gosh. Scott, you were delightful. I don't actually know what we talked about, but it's almost over. <laughs> and I had a really good time. So um, <laughs> did you – oh, I'm glad. Did you have anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't talk about? I can't imagine that you – I'm not sure. Did you have a plan? Uh, I didn't really have a plan. I, th- I thought about some stuff. I think we covered a l- actually we covered a lot of the things I thought about. Cool. Um, I think it's it's just that the technology is. I think something to keep in mind is all of this technology is amazing, but at the same time, it's still no, not where we want it to be, um, and it's still not a cure. At the end of the day, you know, I'd, I'd obviously that you know they're coming out with pumps that are that are going to be better and better, and they're going to have closed loop technology. And, you know, new pumps that have um, dual chamber pumps and uh, better CGMs and everything. But at the end of the day, this is very expensive. Um, it's, I'm, I'm glad these things exist, but it's not a cure. It's not the same thing. No. And there are plenty of people. I, who I think that's something it. everyone has to keep in mind. Uh, you know, it's not, we, we're not there yet. And none of all of this technology has faults. Um, and some, sometimes even going simpler. That's why sometimes I just prefer MDI. This is just simpler. And not to, not to take away from the great things these technologies offer people. And I know they've made a big difference to many people's lives. Uh, but it can be frustrating sometimes. Sometimes you just want to strip it down and go old school. Yeah. yeah. Right. Well, well, that's cool. No, I, I, listen, I completely agree with you. I, I can see 100% all sides of what you just said. And I think there's value in it for everybody. It also made me think that to some degree, 
there's a class system in diabetes too, right? There's people, right. there's people who either have the cash or have the insurance and there's people right. who don't. And, um, and there's that, and there's, there's the education and time. I mean, the amount, again, the amount of time I, and I live my life, I don't let diabetes take away from my own life, but the, I do devote a significant amount of mental energy and energy just managing it. Um, I don't, I don't think everyone has time to do that. Um, especially it's amazing how much time you're able to dedicate to your daughter. And I, I think that's amazing. Yeah. I've said that before. Be it's just, my life is just, it lends itself to me being able to give time to this. If you were, if you were the guy that built the courthouse and not the barrister inside of it, Scott, then you might not have as much free time, I, energy, you know, money to devote to the, even just the thinking about your diabetes. And, that's right. and that is really important to remember that, you know, people don't, uh, people, when you hear people say, well, I ignored this. I don't know, like, did you ignore it or did you get up at six o'clock in the morning to go to a job where you didn't make very much money yep. and all day you thought about the bills you couldn't pay and when you got home you had to go to a yep. second job? Like, there's, you know, there's yep. circumstances that allow you more time, you know, or less. There are. And, and then not, not only that, but then when, when you're more stressed in life, your blood sugar is going to be worse. Right. Yeah. And if, you, and if you're in a financial crunch, that's a constant stress that you may not even be aware of. I mean, look at you. You said if without a CGM... You, you know, you wouldn't even realize that when you stand up and feel completely composed at right. work, you're not, you know, or, or, yeah. or maybe you are composed. It's just everything inside of you. It's just like, hoo hoo, here we go. You know, like, like this is it because I'm imagining yeah. and I'm going to keep you a little extra, but I'm imagining when you're defending someone who you believe is innocent, you feel pressure to make sure that they don't serve a penalty they don't deserve, oh. <laughs> right? It's got to be a, a, an incredible like burden, I would imagine. It is a burden, and even even you know, not to get too off topic, but even if I think they're guilty, which sometimes is the case, um, I still want to do the best job I can. Yeah. I still have a responsibility. It's still an adversarial system. Um, at the end of the day, I don't make the decision about whether they're guilty or innocent. That's up to the judge or jury. Right. Um, but I still have to. I'm their defense lawyer. I'm the only. I'm the only voice they have. And if they tell me they're innocent, I have to believe them because no one else is going to argue they're innocent. Um, so it, you know, it can often be a nerve wracking experience. It's really cool. It's a, it's just an interesting. It's an interesting way to have to live your life because it's, I, I love the idea that you're dedicated to the rule of law and that, that it is your job to argue for this person because you are their voice. That's amazing. And at the same time, I think about you on a personal level, like what do you do when you get somebody off that you know did something? Like does that, do, do you feel good about that? Do you feel bad about it? Like, you know, how does that impact you personally and, and your blood sugar and everything else? I think it depends on the situation. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fortunately, I haven't represented any, anyone too reprehensible. Mm -hmm. So I may have represented people who I thought were probably guilty, who probably were guilty. Um, who may have done something bad, but not, not something to the level where I'm, I'm going to lose any sleep because they're out on the streets. Let me put it that way. And most people don't go to jail forever anyway. You know, unless, unless you've committed a pretty horrible crime, most people don't, don't spend that much time in jail. And it usually, and honestly, at the end of the day, it often makes things worse than better. Um, so I mean, this could be a whole podcast on its own. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm seeing that. It would be very rare. I'd, I'd lose sleep about winning a case. Gotcha. That's why I was just wondering, like, if it's, you know, I mean, because in the end, they did what they did. And whatever they'll do yep. in the future is on them, too. You didn't. Right. You're just serving the system. That's really something. Well, well, thank God you were able to get through school and do this, because it sounds like you're really good at it. And, you know, now I've spoken to a barrister. So somehow you've, there you go. you've elevated me somehow, too, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say goodbye and push stop and then just yep. uh, say goodbye to you personally and then I'll let you get back to your life. Okay, thanks, Scott. Thank you. 
Thank you so much, Scott, for coming on and sharing your story about living with type 1 diabetes. Thank you, Dexcom, Omnibod, and Omnibod, Omnibod. If you knew how long I've been editing this, you would just be like, thank, uh, I'm dizzy. I've been up here for hours. Thanks very much to Scott for sharing his story. And thanks again to Dexcom, Omnipod, and Dancing for Diabetes for sponsoring the show. You love the show? They brought it to you. Check them out. Dancingfordiabetes.com. That's dancing the number four, diabetes.com. They're also on Instagram and Facebook. MyOmnipod.com forward slash juice boxes where you can get a free no obligation demo and get started today with tubeless insulin pumping. And Dexcom.com forward slash juice box to get a G6 continuous glucose monitor. These things are the staples of my days with type 1 diabetes, and I think they could become yours as well. There are links in your show notes and at juiceboxpodcast.com. Before I go, I want to tell you that now for five straight days, the Juicebox podcast has been charting in its category on iTunes, which might not mean a lot to you guys, but it means a ton to me. And what it tells me is this. You guys are sharing the podcast with other people. That is incredible. Absolutely incredible. To make that list is, is pretty difficult. At this point, the Juicebox podcast has downloaded more than about 87% of every podcast that's active on iTunes. Isn't that crazy? And I don't have a budget for marketing. It's done by you. Something here helps you and you tell someone else about it and it continues to grow. And the more it grows, the more people it helps. If you need an example of why that's true, I just got back from Ohio at the JDRF Summit. I spoke to 600 people who otherwise would not have heard this podcast. In a few months, I'll be going out to Arizona to do the very same thing. Another five, 600 people who don't know about this podcast, who will after that. Thank you so much for sharing. And I want to, I want to really, I get so many of these, but I'm going to share this with you. So for everyone out there who's sharing the podcast, it gets to somebody and you know, you don't know who, and you don't know how it's going to help them or who they're going to tell. Here's a message I just got. Quote, hi, I will try to keep this short. I've been diabetic for almost 21 years. I had struggled finding a method to gain the control I wanted until I stumbled upon your podcast. Late August, I was on a Medtronic pump. A1C was 8.8. August 24th, I moved to the Omnipod and the Dexcom G6. I started to be bold with insulin. And in November, my A1C was 5.4. My endo even told me she didn't think it would drop that significantly. She knew based on my clarity report it was going to be lower, but was floored with how much. I have never felt better in my life. I am no longer in a it's me against diabetes mode. There is this amazing community of support that I had no idea existed. Please keep doing great work. It changed my life. Thank you. I assert to you that you guys did that. You heard something that was valuable and you told someone else about it. I just said this. If no one's listening, if no one's sharing, it doesn't matter. Thank you so much. I'm thanking you for this person. I'm thanking you for me. And I'm thanking you for every person who's going to find this podcast in the future. I hope you have a great day, and I'll see you next week.